0: Chapter 7 of the Human Machine by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 What Living Chiefly Is. It is in intercourse, social, sentimental, or business, with one's fellows that the qualities and the condition of the human machine are put to the test and strained. That part of my life which I conduct by myself, without reference, or at any rate without direct reference to others i can usually manage in such a way that the gods do not positively weep at the spectacle thereof my environment is simpler less puzzling when i am alone my calm and my self-control less liable to violent fluctuations impossible to be disturbed by a chair impossible that a chair should get on one's nerves impossible to blame a chair for not being as reasonable as archangelic as i am myself but when it comes to people well that is living then the art of life the art of extracting all its power from the human machine does not lie chiefly in processes of bookish culture nor in contemplations of the beauty and majesty of existence it lies chiefly in keeping the peace the whole peace and nothing but the peace with those with whom one is thrown is it in sitting ecstatic over shelley shakespeare or herbert spencer solitary in my room of a night that i am improving myself and learning to live or is it in watching over all my daily human contacts do not seek to escape the comparison by insinuating that i despise study or by pointing out that the eternal verities are beyond dailiness nothing of the kind i am so silly about books that merely to possess them gives me pleasure and if the verities are good for eternity they ought to be good for a day if i cannot exchange them for daily coin if i can't buy happiness for a single day because i've nothing less than an eternal verity about me and nobody has sufficient change then my eternal verity is not an eternal verity it is merely an unnegotiable bit of glass called a diamond or even a note on the bank of engraving i can say to myself when i arise in the morning i am master of my brain no one can get in there and rage about like a bull in a china shop. If my companions on the planet's crust choose to rage about, they cannot affect me. I will not let them. I have power to maintain my own calm, and I will. No earthly being can force me to be false to my principles, or to be blind to the beauty of the universe, or to be gloomy, or to be irritable or to complain against my lot for these things depend on the brain cheerfulness kindliness and honest thinking are all within the department of the brain the disciplined brain can accomplish them and my brain is disciplined and i will discipline it more and more as the days pass i am therefore independent of hazard and I will back myself to conduct all intercourse as becomes a rational creature. I can say this. I can ram this argument by force of will into my brain, and by dint of repeating it often enough, I shall assuredly arrive at the supreme virtues of reason. I should assuredly conquer, the brain being such a machine of habit, even if i did not take the trouble to consider in the slightest degree what manner of things my fellow-men are by acting merely in my own interests but the way of perfection i speak relatively will be immensely shortened and smoothed if i do consider dispassionately the case of the other human machines thus the truth is that my attitude towards my fellows is fundamentally and totally wrong and that it entails on my thinking machine a strain which is quite unnecessary though i may have arranged the machine so as to withstand the strain successfully the secret of smooth living is a calm cheerfulness which will leave me always in full possession of my reasoning faculty in order that I may live by reason instead of by instinct and momentary passion. The secret of calm cheerfulness is kindliness. No person can be consistently cheerful and calm who does not consistently think kind thoughts. But how can I be kindly when I pass the major portion of my time in blaming the people who surround me? Who are part of my environment, if I blaming achieve some approach to kindliness, it is only by a great and exhausting effort of self-mastery. The inmost secret then lies in not blaming in not judging and emitting verdicts. Oh, I do not blame by word of mouth; I am far too advanced for such a puerility i keep the blame in my own breast where it festers i am always privately forgiving which is bad for me because you know there is nothing to forgive i do not have to forgive bad weather nor if i found myself in an earthquake should i have to forgive the earthquake all blame uttered or unexpressed is wrong i do not blame myself I can explain myself to myself. I can invariably explain myself. If I forged a friend's name on a cheque, I should explain the affair quite satisfactorily to myself. And instead of blaming myself, I should sympathise with myself for having been driven into such an excessively awkward corner. Let me examine honestly my mental processes, and I must admit that my attitude towards others is entirely different from my attitude towards myself. I must admit that in the seclusion of my mind, though I say not a word, I am constantly blaming others because I am not happy. Whenever I bump up against an opposing personality and my smooth progress is impeded, I secretly blame the opposer, i act as though i had shouted to the world clear out of the way everyone for i am coming everyone does not clear out of the way i did not really expect everyone to clear out of the way but i act within as though i had so expected i blame hence kindliness hence cheerfulness is rendered vastly more difficult for me what i ought to do is this i ought to reflect again and again and yet again that the beings among whom i have to steer the living environment out of which i have to manufacture my happiness are just as inevitable in the scheme of evolution as i am myself have just as much right to be themselves as i have to be myself are precisely my equals in the face of nature are capable of being explained as i am capable of being explained are entitled to the same latitude as i am entitled to and are no more responsible for their composition and their environment than i for mine i ought to reflect again and again and yet again that they all deserve from me as much sympathy as i give to myself why not having thus reflected in a general manner I ought to take one by one the individuals with whom I am brought into frequent contact and seek, by a deliberate effort of the imagination and the reason, to understand them, to understand why they act thus and thus, what their difficulties are, what their explanation is, and how friction can be avoided. So I ought to reflect, morning after morning, until my brain is saturated with the cases of these individuals. Here is a course of discipline. If I follow it, I shall gradually lose the preposterous habit of blaming, and I shall have laid the foundations of that quiet, unshakable self-possession which is the indispensable preliminary of conduct according to reason, of thorough efficiency in the machine of happiness. But something in me, something distinctly base, says, Yes, the put-yourself-in-his-place business over again, the do-unto-others business over again. Just so. Something in me is ashamed of being moral. You all know the feeling. Well, morals are naught but another name for reasonable conduct a higher and more practical form of egotism an egotism which while freeing others frees myself i have tried the lower form of egotism and it has failed if i am afraid of being moral if i prefer to cut off my nose to spite my face well i must accept the consequences but truth will prevail End of chapter 7